Welcome to the Chicago Camp's 2017 Prototypes, Process, and Play Design Leadership Conference Podcast, sponsored by Balsamic. With Balsamic mockups, anyone can design great interfaces. And in partnership with Simplecast. Publish your podcast the easy way at simplecast.fm. This podcast features Lisa Welchman, author of Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design, and her presentation, Governing with Intention, from August 10th, 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Welchman. You all don't understand the irony of how she has explained to me that she is not a hugger. The value, I'm, that's not true. I'm not a hugger when I meet you for the first time. After we've met and had some conversation, then, maybe. <laughs> you got a hug, finally, after less than 24 hours, which is kind of a, kind of a big deal. Um, paper crinkling, candy wrappers, it's you. Matinee ladies, no one scuffling with toilet paper on the end of their shoe like an old matinee lady. That's what I aspire to be. When I get older, I want to be a, a matinee lady. Anyhow, so I have a lot of gadgets up here, and I'm not great with them. So I have the timer, which is going to make me not speak for more than 45 minutes. I have the clicker, which I hope is going to work, and I have water, and I have a mic. So that's like two devices more, and this laptop. So let's keep going with it. So... I hope you're doing well. I was very excited. I thought that I was in Donna's slot, which is the low blood sugar slot, but I wasn't. So you guys are all juiced up now, and you have, are very, very excited, I'm sure, to hear about governance, because it's a hot topic. Um, that's a store people shop in, isn't it? Hot topic. <laughs> Anyhow, hello. I'm Lisa. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself, and then I want it to be all about you. Um, I'm different. I was telling people last night, the thing that I say when I'm around designers is, I design teams. So I'm really all about people. And I've been in and around you all for 20 years, looking at how you work, everyone, particularly within the digital ecosystem. And so I want to talk to you about things that I've seen you do that are maybe not the most productive. And then I want to talk to you about what I think is probably your most heartfelt desire at work and tell you how to solve that situation for yourself. And then I'll be done. Does that sound like a plan? Okay, that's the plan for the day. Some stuff about me. I started out university as a singer. Um, I'm a lyric soprano. Um, but I got sort of lured away in my sophomore year of college, even though you're a music major, you know, they make you take those classes. Sociology 101, Psych 101, or Philosophy 101 were my options. And so I got into Philosophy 101, and I was completely romanced by the pre-Socratics. In particular, Thales, who was the one that said everything was made out of water. So there's this, the pre-Socratics, there were a lot of monists. Everything's made out of water, everything's made out of air, everything's made out of fire. So I was kind of inclined in this direction, but I just hadn't bumped into the right set of people. But I had this instructor, and literally I was seduced off of my voice opera major into a philosophy major. This was a good teacher, right? And I just sort of thought something was very exciting for me. So I left school and like did nothing 
I worked for the first health maintenance organization ever in the city of Baltimore answering the telephone. And then when I realized that that's what you could do without a college degree, I went back <laughs> and I did major in philosophy. And I was really, really interested in philosophy of language and artificial intelligence. This was my favorite book. I wrote my senior dissertation slash thesis slash whatever you call it in the US um, on mentality machines and can machines think, which is all the rage right now. So I'm kind of excited about it because what was that? 1986, I'm 53. That's how many years later? Is that 30? Wow, 30 years later, still talking about it, haven't gotten that far. Um, learned a lot about uh, symbolic logic. This is gonna lead to somewhere. Learned a lot about symbolic logic because that's what philosophers do. They do derivations. They abstract things. They take the meaning off of them, and then they manipulate them, prove whether or not things are true or false, and then install them back. Right? So we did a lot of symbolic logic. Oddly, I'd always not liked math, but I really liked logic. And uh, my professor in my physics 101 class, which I was forced to take, said I had intuitive mind for math. So I actually had a minor in physics, which was odd. So I went from voice opera, I think I'm this, to philosophy, symbolic logic, uh, whatever. Went to grad school, that didn't last that long, but I did get a boyfriend. <laughs> and he had a master's degree in computer science. And he was still in Maryland and I was in New York at Columbia and he wanted to interact with me via email. Which at that time, still 80s, was kind of new and weird. So that was my introduction to the internet, was that if I wanted to talk to my boyfriend, it had to be, I never quite figured out Pine enough. That's my reason for why that relationship didn't work. <laughs> had nothing to do with anything other than that, but that's how that worked. Uh, then my sister, who's married to a cryptographer, her husband said, oh, symbolic logic and the internet and blah, 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 you should learn prologue. So the only programming language that I know is Prologue, which isn't particularly useful, but I do know it. And it's helpful in my job because I have to talk to IT people all the time. So I can go into this kind of like quasi mind meld of codingness with them, which makes me feel like one of them. And if I wear pretty colors, designers like me. So <laughs> I'm all set. So, what really caused me to leave grad school was, I was in grad school, I was working with all these people who were working on PhDs in philosophy. They were all men. There's one woman, but she kind of ignored me. They were just weird, I didn't like them. Nobody was really trying to mentor me. There was nothing to make me stick, and I thought, I don't want to spend the rest of my life around these guys, which is what I would do. So, at the same time, because I was going to Columbia, they had a relationship with Juilliard, and I could sing. So I was taking voice classes at Juilliard. And so, and my grandfather, God bless his soul, had bought me a Mac Plus because I got into Columbia for grad school. So the intersection of all these things was that I decided to make a database of all the arias that I could sing in HyperCard. And if you press the up arrow, the scale went up. And if you press the down arrow, the scale went down. So that was what sucked me out of um, grad school, um, sang around New York a little bit, did some temp work, and because I could use these machines because of everything or whatever, I ended up doing early Lotus Notes work at Citibank. It's not even Citibank anymore, is it? Citicorp, Citibank, whatever it used to be called, it wasn't called the other thing now. They didn't know 
They had over 80,000 employees globally, and they didn't know who reported to whom. Because if you ask that basic question of anyone, it was sort of a paper chase. I was like, that's wrong. So there was this thing called Lotus Notes, and I decided that I was going to solve this problem by potting together some kind of weird Lotus Notes database interactive collaboration thing, which never really worked, but they oddly let me sit in the corner and do that um, until I got pregnant, because I got married at some point, until I got pregnant. And I had my son. He was very quiet. And a friend of mine gave me a 14.4 modem and a book on HTML as a maternity gift, because I was bored at home. So with my son strapped to me, I learned HTML, TextPad, and that was my first interaction with the World Wide Web. 14.4 modem, Brooklyn, Park Slope, before everybody wanted to live there. Um, I wish I had bought that house <laughs> back then, but I didn't. Um, he then gave me a job, and my husband, who's now my ex-husband, only lasted three years. I blame the web. <laughs> um, I went out there, I got divorced, and I needed a job job. I gigged around with him for a while. I coded pages for Netscape. Remember the Netscape website? Who remembers the Netscape website? Really, yeah, exactly. I did worked on those pages, excitement of balance, got divorced, needed a real job, answered an ad for a company called Cisco Systems, which honestly, no idea, right, in my head. I just don't think about those sorts of things. Went there and managed the, the, the product pages for them. So if you clicked on products and ordering, that was my section. They were doing multi-channel delivery, so they were burning to CD-ROM, printing books, and writing HTML from the same file. It's a big deal. The person who did that at Cisco Systems got a prize from the Smithsonian because this was happening in 1995, 1996, right? So people, I work with organizations that still can't do multi-channel delivery, can't get it together. So it's really quite sexy. So I got to see big, bad digital early. And I got to see that even though Cisco Systems had every single interest in having the internet work really well and understood the power of the internet because they make things that make the internet run, right, or make us be able to use the internet, that they really couldn't manage their website at all. And that the executives didn't really have any idea what to do with the technology. Yes, they were one of the front people when it came to e-commerce and they knew how to monetize it, but inside, managerially, IT still fighting with marketing, sound familiar? Over boxes, the business, who owns this? Who gets to be the one who controls the software download pages? All of these sort of fights. What's that homepage that I had a, gonna look like, right? What colors? Somebody mentioned earlier this morning, I can't remember who it was, about right hand versus left hand uh, global navigation. We tested it. It tested better on the right side. Somehow it ended up on the left, because even by 1996, 97, people thought it belonged on the left-hand side. But right tested better in usability labs. Just go figure, stuff like that. Anyhow, so I figured around 1999 that if Cisco didn't really know how to manage the web and were fighting about it, that probably everybody else would, and there'd be a business model. And so I'd quit my job and get rich in five years, and then go do whatever it was I was really going to do, opera sing maybe, something like that. So here we are, 20 years later, and organizations still have these really large problems, which is we have all of this stuff that we put online, and we have a huge team of people inside the organization that are putting those things online, and we kind of are disorganized and don't know what we're doing, right? And we fight about it. So that's the problem that I solve. It has a tag on it, which is digital governance, because 
governing things really is just clear, being clear about who makes decisions about things and who has accountabilities for things, and that's what the problem is. Everyone has good intention. I really like people, and I assume that everyone's not coming to work trying to cause problems for people, but there's a lack of clarity around what to do. And some of that is because digital is relatively new in the enterprise, and some of it's just the way people are. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that and what you can do sort of in that situation. So here's a question that I was saying I was going to answer for you. Um, this is what I see when I go inside an enterprise. I see a lot of individual human beings working in a largely unnatural group, <laughs> one that's way, way too big, trying, where they're spending the majority of the hours of their day in that group, trying to somehow put their stamp on something because this is your life and you're spending tremendous number of hours doing this and you want it to mean something. And then I also feel like people are ashamed of that at the same time. Like, oh, it's just work. I'm going to go home and live my real life. It's just work. No, it's not just work. This is actually your life, right? So when you go at work and it's to work and it's a mess and it's challenging and all these things, it just doesn't feel good. So I'm about people, Russ, wherever you are, even though if you don't believe me, um, I'm about people really feeling good about their jobs because I think you'll make better things and you'll feel better about yourself. So this is really the question that's really sort of at the core. We want to collaborate together, right? But individuals also want to feel good about themselves and good about the collaboration. How can you do that? How can you meet sort of all of those all of those goals at the same time. Anyone think I'm off about that? Anybody not really care? Anyone just going to work and really just dialing it in? I mean, okay, some days, yes. We've all got a day where you go in and you're just sort of like, eh, whatever, I'm gonna get through. But most of you, like, you, you wanna do a good job, right? You're like, you're proud of it. You're putting yourself into it, right? And if you're designing, you're putting a lot of uh, other things in it well. So, three things that I've learned. And then I'm going to give you two solutions. So anyone read this book, How to Fly a Horse? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm this, there's a light that's literally like laser pointing in my eye. I'm assuming you can still see me. Easy to spot. Um, there's really three key things that I see going on inside of organizations. And this is huge. I know it sounds dry, right? Organizations are a competition between compliance and creation, right? So we all want to create, we all want to invent and do new and exciting things, yet at the same time, it can't just float off into the ether. Something has to tether it down, right? Something has to keep it in compliance with what's going on in the organization, in compliance with regulatory things if you're in a heavily regulated environment, in compliance with the standards of the organization if you have them. So there's this tug of war, and we've been talking about this all day today, between what you want to do and what needs to get done inside of the organization. Right? So this is this great book. I got this quote from uh, How to Fly a Horse, and it's all about, it has a section in the book. I shouldn't say it's all about. There's a section in the book that really talks about, um, ooh, that sounds like my knees. Um, <laughs> on a really bad day. Um, talks about how to build really good teams and uh, teams that get stuff done. Um, and I think they actually, the team he talks about is the sort of moonshot team. So you might want to take a look at that at this book. It was really interesting. Fast read. I read it when I was in uh, Costa Rica on a hammock in an afternoon. So it's that kind of book. So it's kind of fun to read. You should try that. So 
compliance and creativity. So how does this work? So this is my grid that I love so much. We've been talking about this today as well. So this is actually my governance maturity grid, made to look pretty for designers. <laughs> right? So it doesn't look like it's as anal as it normally would. So just think about you're going to make something, you're going to try something. Something new comes in the environment. Let's take a really good guess, something like the World Wide Web. Right? Here it comes. It's 1993. So if you're in an enterprise, 94, 95, 96 is probably about when you picked it up and somebody bought the first URL. We don't know who, but around 97, 98, 99, we had to go find out who and then get it off their credit card and get it back into the ownership of the company, right? So you're laughing because you know it's true, right? So there's domains got bought in all sorts of odd ways. So you have this new idea. So you're starting out kind of with a governance problem. But that's how it works when something new happens. Nobody really recognizes what it's going to be. I mean, there are visionaries who do. But most people are like, this is kind of cool. Let's try it. So you try stuff, and you make stuff up as you go along. And that's completely correct. If you start to govern at inception, you'll choke it. You'll choke the life out of it. So when I tell people I talk about governance and I talk about digital governance, they run hard away from me in the opposite direction because they think I'm trying to choke them. I'm like, no, when you're sort of, when ideation's happening, like, let it fly. Let it rip. Figure out what works and what doesn't work, right? What happens, though, is eventually you find something that works. In Cisco's case, it was e-commerce, right? E-commerce worked. People want to buy things online. Is that true? It's super true now, right? So you could sell software images. I mean, you could sell software online. You could sell golf, Cisco golf balls online, hats online. You could sell all kinds of things online. So once that was proven inside the organization, what happened is different aspects of the business went, hey, that worked. We are going to do it too. Okay, that's kind of the inflection point where if you actually don't, come up with some standards and some ideas about how the organization on the whole is going to do it, and you don't sort of think about some of the policy-related issues, like is it legal, or should we be selling, you know, gathering the email addresses of children on the Happy Meal app McDonald's? Like if you don't stop for a second and wonder about some aspects, and then you scale, you scale funky, right? So you start to get that parallel lines slightly skewed from one another, disaster, multi multiply that by multi-global national 200,000 person company, and you end up with what is likely what some of you all are confronting if you work in a very large organization, which is just sort of this cacophony of usage of digital channels, no standards in sight, and you can't get a hold of it, right? So in that chaotic space are two things. One, where I make a living. Right? Because once you get in there, it's really hard to get out of it. It's very, very hard to have the perspective to get out of it. And most likely, you're emotional. Right? I can't believe they're doing that. Right? I'm the one who's supposed to be coming up with a design standard. Why are they doing that? Right? Like I own my part of who owns that channel. All of that sort of language starts to pop out. And so you need to govern right about where that hump is, where you're like, oh, we've come up with a good idea and it really works. Okay, how are we going to scale it? Right, and then you scale. Very good. So, you've already fallen in the chaos pit, unless you're genius and you haven't. Um, and you need to get to the point of basic management. And basic management are, is ex exactly what it is. What do you have and who's touching it? 
I've never run into an organization of any size, and I tend to work with like big, like say like Global 1000, like really big, big companies, where I've said, ask questions like, how many websites do you have? How many, how many social channels and where are they? And they've actually answered that question with anything other than, it depends. And it's like, well, well how many? How well? I, well? I don't know. There are, sh people talk about shadow IT. There's shadow digital all over the place. People, and then cloud comes along and people in marketing departments are like, what? We don't have to go through IT? Woo. And they're like off on a tangent, some kind of crazy place. So the first step you need to know is like sort of what do you have and how are you controlling it? And who's touching it? Who's touching it's really important because you cannot help people work together if you don't know who they are. That sounds really, really obvious, but I'm telling you, someone told a story earlier today, I have such a bad memory sometimes, some earlier today about the left hand not knowing, I think it was Matthew, the left hand not knowing what the right was doing, or they hadn't, they were far, it was Matthew, I think, far along on a project before they brought these people in. When I go in and kick off on projects, sometimes usually someone says something like, you know, in the afternoon after we're all loosed up and everybody's friends and everybody sort of had their therapy session and let their heart out about how bad it really is and I know what's going on. Now, you know, Lisa, this is like the first time we've ever all been in the same room together talking about the website when we weren't fighting about a project, right? just in the room. I've never met you before. Like, it's, it's absolutely staggering. So basic management is just sort of getting to this basic level. And then you get to this responsive state, and I know in this environment I shouldn't use the word responsive, but it did exist prior to us. <laughs> and that's when you've got total integration and Lisa doesn't have a job. That's when digital isn't anything. It's just integrated with the overall business. Now, if you're a .com, you don't have the problem of separation because your whole business model happens online. But if you're a legacy business, and in particular, if you're a legacy business that makes a hard good like tires or the little springs that are making that noise in the chair, right? If you make something like that, integrating digital with your business model is kind of an afterthought. It's, it, doesn't, it takes a lot of effort. So you actually have to work to get there. But there's this responsive state where you don't have to worry about kind of what are we going to do with digital because it's just part of the business process. You have a, an executive suite that understands how those channels work and you're thinking omni-channel. Like everyone likes to say that word, but that's where, you, that's where you are. So you need to enjoy that while it lasts because it's never going to finish because as soon as you actually get to that point again, something new will come along, right? And you'll have to launch that. In fact, it's already happened. You had websites, and then you had social, and now you've got mobile apps, right? And all of those things are at a different point in that maturity curve. So you have to be really, really clear about where you are. So that's kind of like Lisa's how you fall into governance problems and how you might pull yourself out. So the second thing that I see people do a lot of is thinking that they can be done, right? So that alludes to what I was just talking about. You're never done. So this is a system, and I'm gonna talk a lot about not being done. You just can keep continuing, iterating, iterating. You all design things, so you probably know that intuitively already. But that's just true of the enterprise. It's always changing, your people systems are changing, things are turning over. But sometimes we're just trying to get control over something, somehow, that people wrap their arms around it and try to be done. And so I've worked on projects when people are like, when's digital going to be done? It's like, well, what do you mean? Right? You're creating this online ecosystem that um, 
is going to exist in perpetuity, and you need to be organized for that. So there will always be new things coming in. There will always be old things going out. And they're either going to come in violently or they're going to come in nicely. Right? If you've got sort of perceptive leadership inside your organization that's visionary and isn't threatened by things, sort of has a broad mind or just can see, sometimes people aren't trying to be you know, sort of aggressively ignorant. They just really don't have the vision to see that sort of thing. Maybe you can bring new technologies and new ideas into your organization nicely. Sometimes you get disrupted. You know, if you're in a hospitality service, if you're in taxi and limousine service, some things come out of nowhere like Ubers and Lyfts and just knock you off your feet. Right, so our job is to figure out how to deal with that, right, and to deal with it in a way that, that that's going to work. So this idea that there's going to be sort of a, a perfect world where if only the executives would fill in the blank with behaviors none of them have, or if only this sort of perfect world would happen, all of this would be balanced. That just doesn't exist. We know that about our own lives personally, right, that just being alive is rich, Right? It's a rich, systemic experience that we all have. Working inside an enterprise ecosystem or an organizational ecosystem, even if it's small or large, is going to be the same way. So your job is to actually manage it nicely. And really, that's what I, I see myself doing a lot of um, sometimes. Sometimes it feels like therapy, um, working with people to get them to understand that. Um, here's my favorite one. So this guy on the left-hand side, I had to pull him out. I had him put away for like 10 years. Okay, so you ready for the cutest thing I've got all day? His name is Wendell Wallace Webb. <laughs> so I love that. I worked really hard on that because that's as good as I get when it comes to cute. Um, I made him, I wrote this ebook probably too early called Digital Deca 10 Management Truths for the Web Age. And it was things like standards-enabled collaboration that you'll see later and, you know, eat your Wheaties and, you know, things like that. But one of the things that in it, it talks about web phrenology, which is a phrase that I use that talks about you can look at an organization's website and pretty much from looking at the site, you can tell what's going on inside, right? Just like the phrenology from what was in 19th century, you can touch the lumps on somebody's head and if you have a bump here, you're angry or you're smart or whatever, things like that. No, it wasn't right. It wasn't true, but they, that's what they thought, right? They believed it for a while. So you can look at someone's website. It was odd when I pulled Wendell back up. It was really, I was really curious to see that I really did make him 10 years ago, and I don't think there's anything on that poor guy's head that isn't still going down, right? Um, so you can tell a lot. If you don't have single sign-on, that tells you a little bit about something that's going on with IT, and if it's unintentional or it doesn't make a lot of sense. So the lack of coordination inside the organization in terms of how you're creating your online presence shows up online in interesting ways. And what's even more so is it really exposes this truth about how people work together. And that is that it is a constant tug of war. I don't know if it's hardwired, likely so, this sort of flight or fright, or I'm going to be on the top of the pile. Even the meekest person and sometimes mostly the meekest, quietest person in the corner, is always sort of trying to win all of the time. Like, I'm giving this talk, and I hope you all think my talk is really good and kind of gooder than some other people's, right? Like, not that I mean any harm to anyone else, but that's just right. Am I wrong about this? This is like you want to do a really good job. So you have this internal tug of war inside of the organization where people are like going, no, my website, no, my website, no, my IT, no, your IT, going back and forth and back and forth. And your poor users 
are like, what even is this? Right? Like, why do I have to fill my name in 17 different times or whatever? And it's not because no one knows how to make single sign-on work. Like, that's easy. It really is. I'm not saying it's easy to get from whatever disaster mess you have in your stack to single sign-on. That's a whole other issue. But it's not like technologically you can't figure out how to do it. It's just the fighting back and forth. And the same thing with the interface design. Right? It's not like you all, we could shut the door and invent something amazing and solve any problem. It's the execution. It's the people. They don't want to allow it to happen. They want to have these sort of fiefdoms and these territorial battles that go back and forth. So that's not good. And I think it's the individuality that does that. And that's a good thing. Individuality is good, but sometimes it can get in the way. So here are, oh, I'm checking my time. Oh, no. I think I may have forgot to start it. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, okay. That's, you know, user error. Um, so two things that you can better do better. Obviously, govern. So no one ever wants to hear me talk about governance. So I put governance in one slide with some animations <laughs> to make it seem like it's just one slide, but it really is. So as we mentioned, I have this book. Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design. Um, it's a decent book, not great. I think I'm going to redo it in a year or so. It's good. You, sh you should read it. You should read parts of it. You should read parts of it. It's, well, you know, you, keep, you, keep, you write a book, and then you keep working, and you get better at what you do, right? So I'm like, hmm, there's a part that could be better now. And it's two years old, which means I was writing it four years ago. So that's fair, right? If you, have you learned something in the last four years? And so have I. So there you go. So what is governance? It's really simple. So when I go inside of an organization and I see these battles and these fights going on, they're usually mapped to these three aspects that lack clarity. And one of them is who should be in the room when you're deciding what your strategy should be, whatever that strategy is. It could be digital strategy, piece strategy for pretzel manufacturing. It doesn't matter. And then based on that strategy, who should be in the room when we're writing policy, right? And so when I say policy versus standards, I mean, think of it this way. Policy is what keeps your organization safe. Standards is what keeps whatever it is you're making be at a high level, right? So policy is protecting the organization and providing opportunity for it. So we don't want to get sued by making apps that collect the email addresses of minors, right? That's a policy. There's a children's whole children's online privacy policy almost in every country um, that operates online um, globally. Um, a standard might be some of the stuff that you all come, it might mention an editorial standards, a color palette, things like that. So I don't really care what those things are. I'm not trying to tell you have a rigid this, that, or another. What I'm trying to tell you when I'm talking about governance is Make sure you know who's supposed to make those decisions. Because nine times out of 10, that's the problem. You're in a conference room. You're calling it collaboration. You're call, saying that we have, we're trying to come to consensus. And I'm all about that. Although I can tell you a nine-year consensus horror story that I won't. But you can ask me later. Um, where they got nothing done because one person wouldn't turn. One out of 40. Right, it just made no sense. The reality is, usually inside your organization, there are people who know more than other people about things. 
right? So you wouldn't let, I wouldn't want you, are you an IT person? Uh, Dang it. I was going to use, okay, so I'll go the reverse. So maybe you're not the best person to be sort of, are you a front-end developer? Oh, never mind. You're just like the wrong person. Next. I'm just going to go generic. How's that? I don't want the IT person designing my front-end, right, or doing the graphic design. How's that? For a particular component of it. And I certainly don't want them writing the standards. Now, they might have really rich opinions that need to inform what those standards are. They may be able to tell you things that you can and cannot do when you're designing. And I think Matthew mentioned that this morning. So it's important to have them in the room, right, and to have the conversation and to provide input into that. But should they actually be the decision maker? Probably not. So what I see is a lot of feel-good, trying-to-be-nice-to-each-other things, which is good, but it doesn't always work all of the time. So identifying who actually should be in the room when these decisions are being made and then who the deciders are is a good thing. And across the board, usually in organizations, particularly for digital channels, it's nowhere to be seen. And you're banging your head against the wall. And every single project that you have, interface by interface, you're having these long, drawn-out discussions with a group of people, 75% of which probably don't even need to be in the decision-making component trying to bring people along for all kinds of good, heartfelt reasons, right? So what I want you to do is figure out who the deciders are outside of the context of a project in general for all of your things, all the way from design, editorial, publishing, and development. Do you know who inside your organization builds taxonomies and decides what taxonomies are, right? And I'm not saying it has to be an individual, but just understanding who those people are and placing those accountabilities. But most of the time, you'll be okay. Most of the time, people aren't fighting, right? But when you do, it can really hang something up and it can really delay projects. So that's all that governance is, right? And, and then I'm going to go down a kind of crazy train path for you because um, you guys probably are all about standards, but a lot of people don't like standards. Um, they think that it hinders creativity. And so if you ever believe that, in the next how many ever minutes I have, I'm going to prove you wrong. So I'm going to go through a list of things that are standards-based that I think can also be creative. And somebody put up their hand if I'm wrong about any of these. Notes on a sheet, standards. Oh, that movable type and that movable type. Telephony, I can do some creative stuff with that. Telegraph, radio, standards-based. Film, standards-based. Television, standards-based. I'm telling you, I say this every time when I use this slide, I really wanted to be her. I can't tell you to the level, to the depths of my soul, how much I want it to be. I think I even like had the outfit and may have walked around with it on, which is sad. Um, I don't do that now, though, when I'm in public. Um, <laughs> Standards-based, I think we do a lot of stuff with this. I like the looms. Anyone here weave? Oh, wow, quilt? Okay, we need to talk. Okay, and then there's, there's our beloved beloves. Like, no more W3C, you can't get any more standards-based. I mean, what we do wouldn't work without standards. 
So standards are normal and useful, required, right? You and I wouldn't be here without standards. <clears throat> when our genes get messed up, we're not viable. <clears throat> that should tell you something. So standards are normal, right? So I, I don't want you to think like that's like some kind of exceptional sort of thing. Like this is a really deep, like this fabric, like matter is standards based. Like where we think there's some way that we can operate outside of a standards framework, all intelligence systems use them and they create great beauty with them all of the time. So, govern please. Figure out who's supposed to be in the room when you're talking about strategy, who's supposed to be in the room for policy, and at the end of the line, who's supposed to be in the room when you're doing strategy. And then the last thing that I'm gonna say is that I want you to design your collaboration model with intent, right? I'm gonna get back to the question at the beginning. So we've got a problem right now in 2017, and it's not what you think I'm gonna say. It's that org chart model and that thing that we work on, they don't work together, right? So you've got this nested hierarchy and an object-oriented container. It just doesn't work. So we're gonna have to come up with different types of collaboration models. And so, so I don't have to talk about it, I'm gonna show you with some music, I hope that it works. So here's example number one. I got rhythm. I lost my clicker. Oh, there it is. I got music. Okay. I got How many my people man in this collaboration? Who could ask for anything more? Two. One of them's I me. Got I like daisies to sing. One in of them's green who was this? this was Greg, bass player. I had some time to waste recording studio. He said, let's do this. We picked a more. key, counted it off, and went going. Oh, collaboration man, of two. I we just did it. Can you see that? Can you see that? How many people? How many are playing right now? Anyone love Kenny Barron besides me? with his buddies. So turn your ears on. So he didn't leave him hanging, right? He slipped into a groove, he stayed there, he created a tighter frame three people who can play together, right? Still creative? Okay, let's add a few more. Anyone here like Regina Carter? Wow, you got, thank you. At least there's like one person per person. I guess I have odd music tastes. Bigger group. Creative. Do you like it? Do you think it's scripted? Or are they making it up as they go along? Yeah, it's a framework. Are they having their backs to each other? Or are they looking at each other? How much do you think they talked about this beforehand? Some? Probably some. Instrumentation? 
people looking at each other, they're facing each other. I like the fact that they're sort of in the round. It's kind of fun, right? Here's some more. Okay. Is anyone here uh, like a serious hardcore musician? Okay, what's odd about this? What's weird about this? It's the meter. It's most things are like one, two, three, four, or one, two, three. This is like seven, four, like seven beats per measure of four. Most things are four, four, or like there's some kind of even kind of thing. So they're clapping to keep the beat. I'm sure it's accompaniment or whatever. There's something else here I think you were alluding to. They have a different set of tools. It's a bit of, bigger group. What else do they have? They sort of have a director, but there's a really obvious thing. They have sheet music. So somebody thought, this is so complicated, maybe we ought to write down some basic stuff so that we're all operating from the same things. Still creative? Do you think he just randomly decided to riff, or was it kind of planned? Right? So, but it's good, right? It's a good thing. There was, sit down, piccolo player. Yeah, no. And like piccolo, ugh, sorry. Except for like that stars and stripes, like that's the only time you need the piccolo. I'm sorry, piccolo man. I didn't mean to say that about you, but anyhow. An odd piece. There's something else about them, too. It's really interesting. They're all dressed the same way. They got ties, and they're all men. So, <laughs> now, then we get to this last one. Anyone here like Mahler? Oh, more. So you guys are Mahler Okay, so this is like one of the biggest, baddest things you can pull together. It's got a double chorus, a really giant orchestra, right? So different pieces are, have different sets of instrumentation for orchestral music. So this is like the biggest band you can get, two groups of singers, and it's got one thing that no one else had before, which is, where is he? Yeah, like, he's really working to keep this group together, and his heart and soul is into it. Creative? May not be your taste, but it's evocative. It's kind of hard not to get a little worked up over this sort of Mahler piece, right? So there's different size groups, different sorts of things. They need different sets of tools. They can all make stuff, and they all operate to a standard. Even when I was singing with, why do I think it's, I, can't, I think it was Greg, it's a long time ago. Even when I was singing with him, we had to do something. We had to go like, what key, right? We had to say, what song? We're like, I see digital teams that work like they said, hey, let's play a game. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and then they're like, wait, get off my, and it's like, what do you mean? There is no my nothing. Like, there weren't any rules. You just said, hey, let's play a game, and you started. Which, if you're like an improv troupe, could be interesting. <laughs> if you're working inside a large organization and you're trying to get something intentionally done, a specific thing intentionally done, you probably can't afford that. I love to be spontaneous, and there are lots of times and places in my life to do that. And there are even times and places to do that inside an enterprise. 
but most of the time, that's not the work you're doing. Right, so just understand when and where you're trying to do that. So back to us, and so that I don't, um, I'm going by my clock and not the clock, the clock that says I have two minutes. Um, this org model that we've had is about finishing things and absolute finite development. It's about assembly line development. It's about the way that enterprises are organized and that your job is organized is to do something very, very cookie-cutter specific. But what's happened is, because of the web and the internet, it's actually, and this is sort of my topic of thought right now, it actually forces the enterprise to work in different ways. Yes, we have to make this stuff and put it all online, but that's not the subject matter that I'm seeing. I'm looking at you. And I'm going, you can't make those things, like Wendell Wallace Webb, you can't make those things while still behaving in a hierarchy. It won't work, right? This is a mesh from, from network topology. It's a mess. It's a closed mesh. It just, and it's constant, and it's infinite, and it's always moving, and it's always changing. And we need to create organizational structures that actually support that. That's why you're struggling. Right, so there's this bigger, badder thing that I probably won't see to the end of, which is actually the disruption of the enterprise due to the internet and the web. Not the market. Yes, business models will change. I'm talking about really core, the way enterprises must function. And so I'm going to leave you with this right-hand piece here. And I've been using this example a lot because I like it and because I'm writing about it at the moment, so I'm thinking about it. So murmurations, starling murmurations. Anyone know how they work? Usually one person does. Go ahead. Each one follows the movement of the one next to it. Close. He said each one follows the movement of the one next to it. Close. Any other guess? Each one follows the movement of the seven birds closest to it. That's how you get the flow. Right? If you had prescriptive stuff, you'd get like a marching, you'd get like, you know, a semi-four flag, you know, company or something like that doing all kinds of, but you don't get that. What you get is a flow, which is exactly kind of what you need. So if bird over here goes, oh my God, there's an eagle or whoever, whatever the threat is or whatever it is, or I smell some food or birds don't smell, do they? they not really, not up in the air. Thank you. You can tell I have limited knowledge of individual birds, but um, a lot of knowledge of murmurations, but for whatever they want to change, so there's trust in the group, right? And from my perspective, the trust is actually going to come from having those firmer governance mechanisms, right? We know what we're trying to do because we've agreed about strategy. We know that we're operating in a safe zone because we've understood what policies, and we know we're going to make something generally good because we have a basic understanding of what the standards are, right? But then you have to sort of collaborate in that space and have a lot of trust. And you can't have that trust if you don't know what those directions are. Because then you're always worried about, well, does Joan know? Does she know? Does she, is she competent? Why the IT team? Like, if you don't have that message, that sort of DNA, that standard installed on your full team, then you can't flow like this, right? And you're not going to be able to get things like the integrated interfaces and single sign-on and things like that because you won't be able to work together. So my message to you is we need to start moving in this general direction. And so how can you going back to the original question, create something of value and still maintain a certain sense of personal agency on autonomy. And I think the answer to that is you need to create this environment where the strategy and standards are clear and that anyone can lead. 
So we've been talking a lot about shifts in leadership. And I loved Carmen talking about today, like you almost have to sort of abdicate the throne. And I think that's really true. So everyone has the opportunity to lead, right? But it's going to take sort of a, a, a lot of energy. So if you see something that you want to do, you can lead. Right? You don't have to actually wait for these sort of hierarchical things to happen. If you're right, and if you actually are, are following sort of a shared vision and a shared strategy, if you're right, then the seven other people close to you will come with you. Like, I've never seen a good idea that was genuinely a good idea in an enterprise where the person took ownership in it and actually led where the people didn't go after them. I mean, is that true? When somebody has something hot going, like in your personal life, professional life, you know it. And you want to get on that bandwagon. So I see a lot of people sort of sitting back. So I think you should take inspiration from the starlings and the murmuration. Um, trust that people will actually lead um, and follow you no matter where you go. I'm hoping that you pick a good place. So that was the message I had for you today. That's the sort of blah, blah, blah about me. Um, I don't have time for questions because I talked my way all the way to the end of the line. But I hope that was helpful for you. And my very last message is... Do a good job, right? You can have a bad day every now and then, but bring it. Like, really bring your best self to the table. We really need it. We're right in the middle of huge transformations for all of us in the world, and we are sitting in the middle of the one sort of creating the new change in vision. So I hope that was helpful to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for listening to the Chicago Camps 2017 Prototypes, Process, and Play Design Leadership Conference Podcast, sponsored by Balsamic. With Balsamic mockups, anyone can design great interfaces. And in partnership with Simplecast, publish your podcasts the easy way at simplecast.fm. Learn more about Chicago Camps events on our website at chicagocamps.org.